what happens when you try to do two things at once. You have to wait for the other crowd to show up. Let's see. Well, we're ready to go. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for those that are joining us uh, online somewhere and for those that are sitting in the auditorium. We pray for those that are missing this morning. I pray that they're uh, safe and secure and their families are good. Father, we're just grateful during this week, a week of, of concentrated attention on what happened on, on Friday and then what happened on Sunday, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word in a new and a fresh way perhaps through some fasting, perhaps through some extra time spent with you, that we might see anew and afresh what it was that you accomplished on our behalf. And for that, we're very, very grateful. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the book of James, and we are for, ready for our second lesson in James. I called this lesson James to the Twelve, because as we found last week, that's who he addressed the book to, the Twelve Scattered Tribes of Israel. And he's listed uh, in that first section, uh, 1 through about 18, uh, a bunch of things having to do with trials and testings. And last week's lesson was all about what is a trial and what is a testing and what does it mean to, to have those kinds of things? What's our reaction? What are we supposed to do? Uh, how, how, how are we supposed to face and look at and deal with those kinds of trials and testings in our lives? And he's, he's kind of finished that, that introduction, that, that uh, overall focus on yes, bad things happen to good people, and now he's going to move into what, what really is his very first practical section of, of this book, and he's going to, he's going to, he's going to fixate, and, and, and I typed that in my notes because that's how I see it. He fixates, he is absolutely focused now on authentic Christianity, not a religion, not a choice. I'm not of this, and I'm not of that, and I'm not of this, so by default, I must be a Christian. No, he's wanting us to make sure that there's some authenticity to our faith. That when we raise our hand in a survey somewhere and says, yes, I'm a Christian, that that means something to us. That it, it, it reflects a, a living uh, re, a reality to our life. And he's going he's gonna to show absolutely no tolerance in this book for any kind of just spiritual or religious conversation. He wants, he wants the real deal. He wants to see it. He wants you to show it to him. He wants there to be evidence in our lives. And um, I, I always think of this song when I, when I, when I think of the concept of, of, of the reality of showing things. Uh, my Fair Lady, do I know My Fair Lady? Yes, can you sing through it with me? We'll sing the whole thing. Well, there's a song when, when Freddie's sitting outside her, 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 her house and she comes out, you know, Freddie is a young guy. Never mind, I can tell you don't know it. But there is a song in My Fair Lady, and, and it starts like this. Don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love, what's the next line? Show me. Um, tell me no dreams filled with desire. If you're on fire, show me. Here we are together in the middle of the night. Don't talk of spring, just hold me tight. Anyone who's ever been in love will tell you that. This is no time for a chat. And then it goes on and on, and the punchline is show me. That's the punchline to the Christian life. That's James. He's singing that song. Don't tell me you go to church. Don't tell me you choose to, 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 to check the box, I'm a Christian. Don't, don't tell me that you have a religious preference. You show me in the way you live your life, in the things that you purchase, in the places that you go, in the conversations that you have. The two things that you can use to examine a person's life are their checkbook and their calendar. Just go look where they've gone. What are they doing? Who are they doing it with? 
and then go to the checkbook. What are they spending their money on? And James would say when we do that, we're having a, a, a check, if you will, of authenticity of our, of our Christian life. So he's going to dive into that very first topic, and it's in verse number 19 of chapter 1. So you've got your Bibles, let's look at it. He says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In other words, sit up and pay attention. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, he's going to pause there for a moment because what he's trying to say to us is that there is something very important about God's word. In verse number 21, he says, you're to accept the word that was planted in you. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth, the evil that is so prevalent. Humbly accept the word, receive it, take it in. In verse 22, he says, do not merely listen to the word. He's highlighting the word of God. He's highlighting this book. He's saying, okay, this book is demanding our attention. So step number one, let's make sure and prepare ourselves to receive it. When you, when you, when you slide into church on Sunday morning or, or Bible study here or Bible study anywhere else or personal devotional time, there should be a pause, not the screaming fit just before we get into church uh, on a Sunday morning, you know, dumping the kids off here and there and slide in, we're there. But, but a moment of reflection, a moment of, of preparation, a moment ready to receive. I've got my mind right, I've got my heart right, I've got things worked out. And he's saying, adjust your mind in verse number 19. He gives you three ways to kind of adjust your mindset. He says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Swift to hear. What does that mean? Well, in, in, in the language, he's saying it's, it's a ready or an eager, an eager bit of attention. It's the way you, the way you pay attention, the way you focus. Uh, Zoom calls during this last year, you know, the, the, the first time or two, probably people were fairly intense. But by the time you do 20 or 30 or 40 of those, you, you know, you got 12 other things you're doing on your desk. You're trying not to let them see everything. You're hiding your camera, turn the volume off, doing the 12 things. You're not really focused. How many lectures did you go to in college and actually focus the entire time? Same way with church or, or Bible studies. It's very easy for us to, to not be swift to hear. In, in Romans chapter 10, the Bible says this, that faith comes from hearing, from hearing what? The message, and the message is heard through the word of God. If you go somewhere and it's church time and they don't crack the book, find another church. If you go to a Bible study and it's supposed to be a Bible study and all they give, give you is three ways to be a better mommy, leave. We need, we need this. This is what makes a difference in our lives. Swift to hear, focus, mind ready. Secondly, slow to speak. Again, in the language, what it's talking about is having some sort of reverential attention. Your eyes have got to be on the person doing the talking. You've got to, you've got to be tuned in. You've got to be listening. Maybe taking notes, maybe not, depending on how, how you learn. But, but, but in some way or, or, or in some intentionality, you, you show, I'm ready. My mind is focused. I'm, I'm swift to hear and I'm slow to speak. And then he throws in slow to wrath. And I, and I wondered about that. Why, why when he's talking about kind of communication tools, swift to hear, you know, uh, uh, slow to speak, why does he throw in really an emotion? Why does he throw in slow to wrath? Well, the word wrath there really means grumbling or, or the idea of, of being irritated. 
Have, have you ever, ever had to have a serious conversation with your spouse and, and, and really you were irritated with them at the get-go? And if you walk into that conversation irritated, not much productivity is going to go on because it flavors everything. It's hard to give that rapt and eager attention when you're really irritated about whatever it was that has nothing to do with what you're talking about, but it's in the background. That's what he's talking about here. When you've got something bugging you, you're not going to receive the clarity. You've got to deal with that first. Great story about Michelangelo when he was painting uh, The Last Supper. He had it all done except for the, the face of, of Judas and the face of Jesus. And then he had a, an irritation, a, a falling out with somebody. And, and he was really mad at the guy. And he didn't like him. And it was just festering in his heart. So he decided to, to uh, paint Judas's face, that guy's face. So he went over and vindictively put him in there. It's Judas. And then he went to paint Jesus. And he painted him once and he didn't like it. He painted it over. He painted it a second time. He didn't like it. He painted it over. Third time, fourth time, I don't know how many times. And finally he realized he was nowhere ready to paint the face of Jesus. So he went back, he found the guy, he asked him to forgive him. They settled their difference. He got it all settled and taken care of. He went back to the painting. He painted over Judas's face. He put some uh, nondescript face in there. And then he was ready to paint the face of Jesus. I think that's exactly what happens when we approach learning something from God. We got to be slow to hear and slow to, or swift to hear rather, and slow to speak and not have any distractions of irritations or wrath or stuff that might be going on in our lives. So then the second thing he sets us up for in terms of getting us ready to pay attention to the word of God is he talks about cleansing our hearts. In verse 20 he says, you know, um, human anger does not produce the righteousness. He says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God. And in verse 22, he says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves to do what it says. Cleansing your hearts, going from a, a, a new mindset now to a, how's my heart? And he uses the word therefore, and, and we've talked about this before, but every time you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should stop and ask what it's there for. It's connecting something. He's connecting, we get our mind on, on, on track, and now he says, let's get our hearts focused. And he says, you've got to do something about the filthiness. That word filthiness is interesting. It, it literally means earwax. It, you know, it's yucky stuff. What he's trying to say is that anything that, that causes you to be soiled, you know, a, a propensity to do something that breaks God's law, anything that you, unite, you need to deal with, and the word there is lay aside, really, or get rid of. It's the idea of taking off a filthy garment. You know, I, I told you, I think, last week about my little pouring uh, syrup all over myself and almost disrobing, disrobing, rather, in, uh, down at the harbor. You know, getting rid of that, I want it off of me. Well, do we, do we deal with sin like that? You know, do we have that, ooh, I've got to get it out of my life. I don't want to, no, get rid of it. Or, or are we slow to, well, you know... He had it come in. It was his fault. If he hadn't, I wouldn't. Uh... What, what he's saying is, if you're going you're to get your mindset, then you're going to cleanse your heart. You've got to get rid of the filthiness, that which soils you. And, and then he uses the term, he calls it the evil. It means the wickedness or the vice that has a grip on you. And we all have those things that, that we default to. 
we default to irritation, we default to impatience, we default to a, a, a poor language choice, we default to anger, we default to something or some things. And what he's saying is, in, in, in order for the word of God to get the attention it ought to, we got to deal with that. He calls it the prevalent thing. The prevalent thing. It means the overflow thing. The thing that just keeps oozing out. It just keeps remaining. I've been walking with the Lord 50 years. Five zero. And, and there are things in my life that have been a part of the, of the wickedness or the evil or that which is so easy to beset me, using Hebrews terminology, for 50 years. And you'd think it'd be gone by now. But, but, it, but it just is a default. It, it's easy to go there. You have them too. And what he's saying is, you've you got to deal with that. When you're wanting to come to God's word and get out of God's word what you need for your life, there has to be a mindset change and a heart clean, cleaning. There has to be a, a, a deal with it. Um, and, then, and then we have to call it what, it what it is. And I've talked to you before about... 1 John 1, 9. If you don't know that verse, go ahead and turn there. If you know it, you don't have to turn. But it says, it talks about, um, well, let me, let me turn so I quote it properly. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, that word confess means call it what it is. Say the term for it. So if you're impatient, don't say, you know, I'm a, little, I'm a little wiggy today. No, I'm impatient. Or if you're exuding anger, call it anger. Don't say, well, I, I'm a little off my game today, and if you would just be what you need to be, then I won't show this display. No, call it what it is. Confess it. Say, say what it is. Because confession plus repentance equals forgiveness. And then God redeems. When we come to God's word for the, for the necessary food we need for life, we have, to, we have to have a mindset that's clear and we have to have a heart that's clear. And that heart clearing is the process of confession. Uh, a few years ago, maybe more than a few now, I was listening to someone, I don't remember who it was, but, but they suggested that, that you keep a short sin list. And what they were suggesting was that every night, before you go to bed in your evening prayers, you would say to the Lord, okay, remind me today where I blew it. And it doesn't take much reminding, let me just say personally, but you ask the Holy Spirit to do so. And then you go, oh yeah, lost my temper first thing this morning. Yep, that was wrong. Shouldn't do that. So that it wasn't the kid's fault that we didn't have any milk. It was my fault. And I took it out on them. That was wrong. I confess it. And then you just kind of go through your day and you pick up whatever was there during your day. So by the time you've, you've finished your little short sin list, you're starting the next day with nothing on it. There's an opportunity for a freshness and a, and a renewal. There's an opportunity for, for confession, you know, and, and, and then God's uh, responding to you with forgiveness. And then there's redemption. You start a brand new day. Kids are amazingly resilient. You could be a, a screaming Mimi on, uh, you know, the evening before, but you get up the next morning, if you have the right attitude, you set the right tone for your for your house, well, how, how is it? It's totally different, because kids are gonna respond to you. Oftentimes friends do that, and, and spouses. You, you can set the tone just by having a short sin list. So then in verses 22 through 25, he's gonna say, well, now, the word of God is gonna demand our response, so we need 
then to put it in practice. If we've, we've, we've set our mind and we've cleaned up our heart, then, then we need to put it into practice. He wants to talk about being hearers, not doers. So look at verse 22 again. Do not uh, merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all in what they do. Hearers versus doers. Do not merely listen. Again, this is that, that sense that you're in a lecture hall and you're just staring up at the front. You're not engaged. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not participating mentally or emotionally. You're just present. He's saying don't be present in your spiritual walk. Be engaged and don't deceive yourself. That, the idea there is that there's some sort of a, an estimate that you're making about your walk and it's a false estimate. It's not what it should be. And, and then his instruction, and this is one of those, remember I said about a, out of 108 verses in James, 50 some odd, um, 50 some odd of them are, are commands. This is one of them. Be doers of the word. It's not a suggestion. It's a demand. It's a command. You do it. Get, get going. And it's in a continuous action. You are doing this all the time. You are a doer of God's word. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's not a Tuesday morning thing. It's an all day, every day, in every experience, every relationship, every opportunity that I have in life. I'm supposed to be taking God's word and putting it in practice. And, I, and, I, and I'm not supposed to be equivocating. Do I have to give to that guy? I gave to him last week. He's on the same corner. Should I give it to him again? It's not that. It's the free flow of being a doer. Yeah, but I forgave her 12 times and she's back nagging again. The sister-in-law of mine, I can't quite stand her. Yes, she's not going any way away. She's your sister-in-law. Deal with it. Be a doer of God's word. And, and doers, you know, he's chapter 2, I put it in your notes. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who could be declared righteous. Now, he wants to give us a little help here. James is so practical. Remember, we said he's the book of Proverbs in the New Testament. He's very practical. So he says, okay, I'm going to give you a little self-examination, a little personal quiz. You can take this quiz as often as you need to to see if you're being a hearer or a doer of God's word. And the first little, the first little part of it is, he says, go look at your face. Go to a mirror and look at your face. Now, ladies, we all look in a mirror probably several times a day. What he's saying is there's two kinds of looks. One is the look that when you look at your face, you walk away and you forget what it looks like. That's kind of a casual glance. Maybe fluff, fluff, maybe not, but it's a casual glance. The Greek word there is just glance and, and move on. Your head turns. But then he says, wait a minute, you could look intently, intently, do you remember the story, and this is going to come up this weekend in, in the story of, uh, of who gets to the, to the empty tomb first. In John chapter 20, in fact, turn there with me just for a minute. I want, to, I want you to see this word in action. John chapter 20, it's the story of who gets to the empty tomb first. 
whether it's John or um, Peter, John chapter 20, you can look at verses 5 and 6, I think it is. Let me look here. 5. Well, we're going to back up. So verse 3 of John chapter 20. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Um, the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Now the point is, is there's two of them that ran in and they're looking into the tomb. Here's what's interesting. John stoops down. He pauses. He takes a moment. He gets closer to it. He refocuses his eyes. He stoops down. That Greek word means to, to look intently. Peter, good old Peter, he's just in a hurry, flops in, looks, and takes off. We want to be like John. We want to, we want to be the stooping down, looking at, gazing on. When we have self-examination, we want to take, take stock. Okay, how am I doing this week? Sometimes it helps to have something specific you're working on. Benjamin Franklin, he used to have a list, and I think there were eight things on it. It might have been ten. But he had eight things, character qualities, on, on his list. And every week he graded himself. I, I, you know, I, some sort of a score for those things. Whatever was the lowest thing, that was his focus for the next week. And at the end of the week, he graded himself again. Now, I'm not saying we have to have a, you know, an actual grade. But maybe if there is, is something that's tripping you up with regularity, you do want to focus on it. You give yourself a little, how did I do? Was I better, worse, same? Something like that, that gives you a, a, a little redirection. You want to look intently. That's, that's a little self-examination that James is giving us in this, in this passage. So that the word of God can have its due, we need to be hearers. And, and one of the ways, excuse me, yeah, hearers, uh, excuse me, not hearers, not exclusively hearers, we want to be doers. And he gives those two tests. One of them is, check it out, really check it out, stoop down, look. And then in verse 26, James is going to shift his attention now to, to what do we do with the word of God. So let me pick it up in verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The word of God is demanding our commitment, and, 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 and once we give it, now we have to share the, the gospel. He's got, he's got two little tests to see if we're ready to, 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 to do some sharing. I love James. I love how practical he is. The first little test he gives is, how's your self-control? Are you, are, you, are you able to control yourself? Galatians chapter 5 has the listing of the fruit of the Spirit. And right there in the middle of that list of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The idea of being unspotted or unpolluted by the world, which is in verse 27, is this idea of having control of ourselves. There's nothing worse than a, than a kindergartner that has zero self-control. And if you walk into kindergarten for the first three weeks of school, all you see is a teacher loving them to get them under self-control. 
Every little procedure, every little way they line up, every way they, little way they put their lunchbox here and their pencil there and move their chair in here and stand here, all of that is designed to start to develop self-discipline. Now, go, go watch Road Rage. You have a 40-year-old who never learned self-control. They're irritated because somebody drove in front of them or honked at them or did something and they go bananas. James is saying in order for us to have the, the, the attention to God's word that it deserves, we need to, to pass the test of self-control. If that's an area you're struggling with, then make that your little, your little weekly test. Did I do better this week? Better, same, worse. Self-control. The second little test he gives is the test having to do with compassion. Because he, he doesn't see religion as a, as a function. He doesn't see it as exclusively as a function. He sees, it, he sees religion as something that comes out of the heart, is an expression of who you are. And compassion is the expression of the believer. Out of all the people that walk the earth today, the most compassionate people should be us. Those of us that have received the compassion of the Lord, that have seen our sin be dealt with on the cross, how could we not be compassionate people? And compassion is what James is, is driving for. In Zechariah, there's a, there's a great verse here. It says in chapter 7, verse 9, Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. The definition of religion according to our just, uh, the passage we just read, is taking care of widows and orphans. Now, I don't really care where your particular political bent is about immigration. This, this is not a comment about that. This is a comment about people. Are there widows or orphans, particularly orphans I'm thinking of right this second, jammed up against a system that might need some compassion from us? Is there a way we might serve them? And I was whining about this to, to my pastor the other day, and I was very happy to hear that he's been in contact with a, a church down on the border, and they're working on some sort of a partnership, and prayerfully our church is going to be able to do some real practical things. I think that's essential. I think what, what, what James is saying is Christianity is not a mindset. It's not a, an activity. We go to church, check, we're Christians. It is a display of compassion. We are the people that step to the front and do things for others, not because we have to, but because we want to. We don't, we don't judge people before we have compassion. We just have compassion. He highlights this, this, this new life that he's talking about. The foundation of that life is the word of God, but the nature of that life is community, and it's a commu community caring for one another. Oh, I, I don't want to go talk to her. She's not in my social class. She, whatever, she, there used to be, not in my current, current church, no one would ever know where, but, but in my experience, there was a person in, in church that just smelled. They, they didn't bathe. They didn't, it just, it was hard to be around them. And I went through a period of time when I would kind, kind of figure out every good reason to not go anywhere near them. And, and, and I got so convicted of that. And then, and then I started just sitting right next to him the whole time. Compassion, if it's not real natural for you, then work on it. Find someone with a need and meet the need. And it doesn't have to be a guy in a corner. It could be a, a lady down your street. 
some, some deer just had a baby and she's struggling with two toddlers. Get in there. Roll your sleeves up. You remember how that was. Somebody needs a meal. We have so many options around here to help people. Compassion. James is saying, wait a minute. If you, if you want to talk religion, let's define religion. It's how you care for people. If we're, if we're too quick to judge, if we see everything through the lens of of policy and politics and, and which side of the fence you're on about a, a social issue and we ignore real people with real needs, then we don't get to brag about being Christians because that's really what it's all about. So what are my takeaways? Where are my so what's for, for uh, James's first real practical test on authenticity? The first takeaway that I took as I was studying this was the need to bridle the tongue. Bridle the tongue. I read somewhere that the tongue is the ambassador of our hearts. Think about that for a minute. What kind of an ambassador? You know, do, do we have the kind of godly communication that we ought to have? And it involves so much more than just listening and 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 or not talking um james specifically said it had to do with attitude and anger and irritation and listening is not just waiting your turn to speak have you ever noticed when you're in a conversation with someone maybe it's a little heated you want to make your point and 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 you're not listening anymore you're just looking for that little pause when they, they they're not talking anymore so you can say whatever it is you want to say that's not listening Listening is when you stop all the stuff you're doing to pay attention to what they're saying. You know, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, I've mentioned to you before, this is the verse I've given more children in Stony Brook to memorize than any other verse in the whole Bible. It says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. There was a period of time when, when I did not think I was building people up. And so every time I had a conversation with someone, I had this little thing. I stopped and said, did that build them up? Build them up? Well, I, did that build them up? No. All right. Next time, build them up. I just used it as a little phrase. Build them up. Build them up. Build them up. Whatever the conversation was, the focus on my part was build them up. Bridle the tongue. Einstein, good old famous Einstein, Somebody asked him, what's your formula for success? And he said, A, A was for success. A equals X plus Y plus Z. Success equals X plus Y plus Z. So then, of course, they wanted to know what the X and the Y and the Z were. He said, X is work. Y is play. And Z is keep your mouth shut. He's not, he's not far off. A healthy amount of work, a healthy amount of play, and, and this shut. Bridle the tongue. Applied Christianity. Christianity that's actually working, the person doing it has bridled their tongue. It doesn't run amok. Second thing I learned. We have to be people that live to the best of our abilities, unspotted lives. Unspotted lives. And this is where that short sin list comes in that I spoke about earlier. One guy was, was praying with the pastor. 
And uh, there was some sin in his life, and he and the pastor had been talking about it and been a, an item of focus. And so the guy would pray essentially every week, Lord, just remove the cobwebs of my life. In that area, just remove the cobwebs. And finally, the pastor just interrupted him in the middle of the, of the prayer time and hollered, kill the spider. You know, at some point we have to say, okay, enough is enough. If, if there are things in our lives, if there are people or situations or maybe opportunities that seem to set us up for, for the sin that so easily entangles us out of Hebrews chapter 12, if there's a situation that lends itself to, to your falling into the trap of, uh, excuse me, of having a, a spoiled life or a, a ruining your unspoiled life, then, then avoid that person. Say, you know, I'm just not going to hang around them. Or, or if, there, if there's a situation, you know, a, 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 an opportunity for some sort of a, a freedom to sin, then don't, don't put yourself in that situation. Don't, don't have that opportunity. It's like the, the husband that was having trouble with pornography on his computer while he, while he traveled. He wanted victory over it. And, and, and essentially was praying, you know, remove the cobwebs, remove the cobwebs. And finally, a, a, a friend let him know about a, a, a software that was available that could mirror his computer to his wife's computer. And that's what he did. He said, honey, I've had trouble with this. And I, and, I, and, I, and I want to repent of it. I don't want it to be a part of my life anymore. I don't want it spoiling. I get out on the road. I'm in the hotel room by myself. I don't want the opportunity. So I've, I've mirrored my computer to yours. So you can see absolutely everything I ever do on my computer. I want us to be together on this. I want victory over this. That's doing something about it. Living an unspoiled or unspotted life. Killing the spider, if you will. And we do that when we keep our eyes on Jesus. That, 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 that expression in Hebrews 12, you're right there. Just turn over to 12.1 just for a second. Just turn left. One book, one page. He says um, in uh, chapter 12, verse number 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, how do we do it? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, having a true north. When I was uh, uh, up in Monterey uh, a few weeks ago, I got up one morning and I was standing there looking at the bay and the sun was coming up right over the bay. And I stood there and went, wait a minute. How is the sun coming up where it, it's north? And I stood there and stood there and stood there and I was totally befuddled. So I got my phone out and I got the compass, you know, a little thing there and I got, I'm out on the balcony or not the balcony, out the window with my whatever, you know, true, true, oh my goodness, true north is that way. That is due east. And then I went and got a map. I got my iPad out and got a map of the bay and because of the position we were in, sure enough, north was that way, east was this way and the sun was coming up in the right place. But if you don't have a compass, if you don't have a, a true north, how do you know? <coughs> Excuse me. How do, you, how do you direct yourself? Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Lord, how did I do? I had that conversation with that person. How did, how did I do? I had that important meeting. I was all prayed up. I wanted to convey, how did I do? My eyes were fixed on you. 
Memorization, the memorization of God's word allows you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Taking a phrase and repeating it over and over and over again in, in, in your day helps you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So the takeaway from this applied Christianity lesson, the first one was bridle our tongue. And the second one was maintain an unspoiled or unspotted lifestyle. And the last one is so obvious because he makes it the point of, of the end of chapter one. Have compassion for the needy. Have compassion for those around. Did you realize that compassion is an act of worship? When we show compassion to people, in essence, what we're doing is worshiping. Now, we worship when we sing and we worship when we do all kinds of things. I, I sometimes am particularly prone to worship when I'm in the out of doors among a bunch of trees or outside or listening to the water or, or, or watching the waves. Those are all great, you know, things that, that are a part of worship. But compassion, serving somebody, a great opportunity to, to display what's supposed to be going on in our hearts. When, when, when Jesus walked into a, a guy's house, he, like anyone else during that time period, would have expected the owner of the home, either himself or his servant, to, to wash his feet because they were coming in from the outside. Everybody was either wearing sandals or barefoot. And in this particular case that we see in Luke chapter 7, the owner of the house did not provide water, nor was there a servant, nor did he get down and wash Jesus' feet. But, but a woman, an uninvited woman who the Bible says had a sinful life, which just means she was a terrible prostitute, she came in, kind of elbowed her way into the, to the special dinner, and instead of inviting herself to the meal part, she got down on the floor. She broke a, a, a jar that had ointment in it, the kind of jar that they would have saved, very expensive ointment, for, for, for anointing a body so that it wouldn't smell. She had it, she broke it, she took her hair, and she washed the feet of Jesus. Uninvited, sinful, using up a, a, a something that, that, that would have been very expensive in her day and time, and involving her own self, her hair, to wash the feet of Jesus. And, and, and we want to be like him. Well, there's the example. I don't think you're probably going to have to use your actual hair, but it might cost you something. It might be less than desirable. It might be a situation that you would prefer to avoid. But compassion shows our Christianity. In, excuse me, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, we're told to clothe ourselves with compassion. It's like a coat or, or, a, or a sweater that we put on. And then Peter goes ahead and takes that same concept and says, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Lo love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. I think, I think the woman who got down on the floor and washed his, washed his feet was demonstrating a, a level of humility. When you and I reach out to people to care for them, we're doing the same thing. We live a very, very comfortable life. Let's all admit it. And we have opportunities, when we have opportunities, we need to bend over backwards to show our humility. So here's my practical suggestion for you this week. I'm asking you, during Passion Week, find somebody, somewhere, who needs your personal help. And then reach out. It could be somebody you know, it could be a family member or 
or someone in your neighborhood. It could be someone in a small group that you're aware of or someone at church. Or it could be someone on the street. And if you don't know somebody, call your church up and say, who, who needs some help? They're, they're going to know. And, and, and maybe invite your children to participate. Do something to display what's in your heart. Christianity is not a mental philosophy. It's a way of life. I read a quote by Billy Graham this week, and it's been bothering me all week, so I'm, I'm sharing it with you. Here's what it says. You should be closer to God today in your heart, your soul, and your body than at any other time in your life. And I asked myself the question, am I? Am I closer to God today in my heart, in my mind, in my activities, in my body? Am I, am I at the peak today? And if not, what do I got to do to be there? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Again, thank you for your word. That's the whole point of this, is James asked us to give attention to your word. To sit up and pay attention. To, to stop talking. Uh, to get rid of uh, attitudes and, and to, to in, intently and eagerly look into your word to change us. And then he said the kind of religion he's talking about is the religion that we share, that we have compassion for people around us. So this week, Lord, turn up our radar. Help every person within the sound of my voice to find somebody to show compassion on this week because of what you did for us. We have that square in our minds. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming. It would have been absolutely no fun with all of you if you had not been here. Thank you, guys. I uh, remind you that next.